You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. The gospel is according to the book of Psalms, the 51st Psalm, the first four verses. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless when you are judged. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to, uh, in the next uh, two uh, days, I want to take you through Psalm 51. Since this is the beginning of Lent and no place better for understanding what Lent is than in this 51st Psalm, because Lent is describing, understanding, and actually learning the doctrine of repentance. And that doctrine of repentance is central to Christian life, but it is also one that we trip over time and time again and mistake and misunderstand what repentance actually is. So here, we want to learn from the expert of all experts, David, the writer of this Psalm 51. Since David was the greatest sinner of all time, I've tried to overcome him, but I can't. Even David understood now uh, in this Psalm what had happened to him and what sin actually was and how repentance occurs. So here we have David, the greatest of all sinners, teaching us what repentance actually is. And remember, you hear this over and over again. The prophet Ezekiel said, repent. John, the baptizer, came and said, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus Christ himself says, you must repent. When Martin Luther began the Reformation with his 95 theses, the fourth of the theses, was about repentance. And repentance, he said, must be all day, every day, throughout the Christian life. And this blew open the church itself and began what we call the Reformation, this particular word, repentance. And so we have to learn the doctrine of repentance, and we learn it from this Psalm 51 and David. David now is teaching us how to repent, what repentance is. And remember, repentance now is specifically what is meant by being turned, that is, to change. All of us understand at some point in our life that we need to change, but we don't know how. And here, David is going to teach not only a little change in life, how to improve yourself, but how to be changed by God. And so he begins with these words, Have mercy on me, O God. 
What God is he talking about? To whom is he speaking? What God does David turn and pray to? This is not the majestic God, the absolute God, the God of terror, the God who stands behind tornadoes which you yourself have seen and gone through. This God that cannot be broached, this God who you cannot understand, this God now that even Muhammad taught his people must be prayed to with their shoes off. Nor is it the God of Buddha who transcends all. David says, I now call out to the God of my fathers, the God who has spoken to my father Abraham and to my father Isaac and to my father Jacob. Therefore, I am now going to turn to you, O God, the God of gods who has spoken to my fathers. You have to hear this right from the beginning because otherwise the God that you encounter out there in the world doesn't speak to you. Suddenly something happens in life that you can't explain or understand and you don't hear a particular word from God. What David did was to go and find the God who had actually spoken. And he said, I am going to find this God the, the one who has spoken to my father Abraham, and what did God say to Abraham? God gave him a promise, and the promise was this, your seed will bless many nations. And in that God, the God who is in his word, the God who is not naked, but the God who is clothed in his word, it is that God to whom David now turns and he says, Oh God, you first, to repent, you first have to know what God to speak to. You have to first know which God you are going to pray to. And David turns to this God, the God of his fathers. And the thing he says is the Kyrie eleison, the word that you begin all of your liturgies with, the word have mercy on me, O God. There is your Kyrie liaison. That's how you begin to come before this particular God. And you ask mercy of him. How does David do this? How does he dare turn to the God of his fathers who made a promise to Abraham and turn and ask for this specific thing? Have mercy on me, O God. Doesn't he understand how God's work? Doesn't he understand how this works in our life? So that you don't just run up to God and start blabbing about this, that, or the other thing. And first and foremost, you don't go before him and ask for mercy. Has he never understood that great divide that exists between God who is holy and we who are not holy? Is he unaware of this? We need to learn what it means to be a sinner as David himself is learning. It's a strange thing that you have to be taught sin. How do you like that? Many people tell me I don't go to church because uh, there are only hypocrites there. There are only sinners there. Aha, I say. Of course that's where they belong because they are learning what sin is. They need to be taught sin because it does not come to them by nature. 
This was lost way back in the garden uh, when Adam and Eve lost who it was that their God was and they no longer wanted to hear from him. They were afraid of him in the garden. They didn't know who God was. They lost their knowledge of God and at the same time they lost their knowledge of sin. They had no idea what their problem was. They had no idea what sin was and how it was that they had now come under a curse. They needed to be taught sin. And therefore, they need the first part of repentance is to learn how to be a halfway decent sinner. Most of you are in the minor leagues regarding this. You have to listen to somebody like me who understands what it's like to be a sinner and actually produce this so that you can see precisely what it is. And David, by this time, knows what sin is. He had forgotten it, but he was taught it again. And how was he taught it? You can find this story in 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter, when David now has lusted after Bathsheba and decided because he is a king he can take anything he wants since he is the maker of laws. And furthermore, he decides that he is going to take Bathsheba's husband, put him at the front of the military and send him off to his sure and certain death and without even recognizing it, David went through the Ten Commandments one after another and disobeyed every single one of them. And while he was doing it, he had no idea he was a sinner until one day God sent one man, Nathan the preacher, to him. And Nathan said, David, sit down, I'm going to tell you a story. There was once a man who had one ewe lamb and he went into the kingdom of a man who had many. But that man who had many did not want to use his own lambs to serve uh, a guest. Instead, he took the one lamb of the poor man. He served it to his guest as if it were his own. And then, David, I want you to tell me what you think of this man. David rose up in self-righteousness and said this will not go in my kingdom I will not have such an unjust man this is not the law that I operate with and then Nathan gave him his first lesson in sin David you are the man and from that time forward David was taught something he was a sinner and didn't know it and lo and behold, the only way you will ever know this is if you get a preacher like Nathan. How do you like that? People don't even know they're a sinner until they get a preacher. This is what your dean is for. Uh, he is actually there to bestow and give this to you so that you can hear precisely what this means. You are the man, and David now says, what am I to do? Where am I to go? How am I to plead my case? Since in trying to be righteous according to the law, I turned out unrighteous. I had no preacher. I did not know. How was this to change? How was I to be repented? And the first part of his repentance was to receive his preacher Nathan and to hear that he was in fact a sinner. Now what do I do, David says. 
I feel the difference between myself and God. I do not know if I can barely stand in front of this God. I understand the difference now between being holy and unholy. And I am in the category of the unholy. How do I turn and speak to this God? Who will possibly listen to me in these circumstances? He has to hold his nose. I'm a stench in his nostrils. And how do I stand before him and pray to him? And here, the same preacher came the next day to give David a second sermon. The first sermon is what we call the law in all its power. You are the man. The second sermon is entirely different. So the next day, Nathan was sent a second time to David, now with a new sermon, and the sermon was simple, short, and brief. David, you will not die. Now there is a different word. There is not the word of condemnation, not the word with the finger pointing at you saying you are the man, not the word of the law, but the word of the gospel, which says simply, I am promising you, you will not die. And then he added one more thing to David's promise. Your seed will stand on its throne forever. David didn't even know who this was. He knew that when he looked at his seeds already, things were not looking good. His kids did not look like they were going to provide a throne for him. Even Solomon, the worst of them, didn't look like he was going to amount to anything. You know, every now and then a dad looks down at the kids and says, My goodness, where is this going? Uh, how is this going to end up? I'm wondering now what's going to come of all of this. All I want for them to do is get a decent job and make something of themselves. And David is wondering what seed is going to be on the throne forever. But here he learns something. This God who comes to him with a second sermon now gives him a promise. And on the basis of this promise, David now is daring enough, bold enough to stand before this God and say, have mercy. And not just in general, but on me in particular. I want your mercy and I want it on me. And I know when I say that, I am speaking of myself as a sinner. And here we learn something else about repentance not only do we have to learn about sin, but we have to learn what this promise is that David got and what mercy means. We call this learning the conjunction of incompatibles. David stands as a sinner before God, and he is incompatible with God. He does not fit. It's like oil and water. They do not fit. They do not mix. And nevertheless, 
David found the loophole. He found the word that came from Nathan, his preacher, and he clung to that word. And in that word, there is an amazing conjunction of incompatibles. The putting together of that which does not belong together. And only God can do this where he can look upon you as a sinner and say, I hereby join myself to you. I don't just allow you to come into my presence, but I actually come down all the way to join myself to you, to unite myself with you. And the way I'm going to do this is a way that you could not imagine. This is what mercy actually means. Mercy is not the momentary suspension of God's law. It is a person. It is not just looking the other way. It's not just ignoring and winking like your uncle who winks at you when you go behind the barn and smoke a cigarette. This is not what God is doing when he looks upon David in his sin. He sees the sin in its total, in its whole. And nevertheless, the God who is holy according to the law now joins himself to David in a conjunction of incompatibles that is what we mean by mercy. And mercy is unthinkable in a world that runs by the law. But God has broken in. And when he breaks in, he is now going to repent David in a new and different way. And that repentance now is in what David calls mercy according to your steadfast love. Now here we need to learn some Hebrew. So before you go, and as long as I'm here, I ought to teach you a few of these words which are originally written in Hebrew. And so now we're going to learn the Hebrew. Here it is that, uh, that mercy comes in what is called steadfast love. That word is hesed in Hebrew. God's mercy is hesed, steadfast love. This is not what you call unconditional love. It's not what you call the love of my dog who meets me after work every day and jumps all over me and never complains that I left the toilet seat up. This is not what we mean by the, the steadfast love of God. It means that God is going to stay in this however much sin you have because he gives his son Jesus Christ as the seed. And when David was promised his seed, he did not know his name. He could have called him just the chip off the old block or the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But we know his name. That name is none other than Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ does something in steadfast love that nobody else can do for you. He doesn't just come and look the other way. He sees the sin and you know what he does with it? He takes it. He takes it. That is steadfast love. Now we need another word beside hesed. That is the next word, abundant mercy. Sometimes in the King James, this has a lovely translation, your tender mercy. But here we want to understand what abundant actually means. It means your mercy is not just given to me once, but it is poured over me again and again. 
so that whatever sin I have is taken by you, and that which I have, that which Christ has, is given to me. And therefore, he is now doing a connection or conjunction of incompatibles that no one had ever thought was possible. His abundant mercy is Rahamim. So he is going to give us his Hesed and his Rahamim. His Rahamim means his mercy is going to pour over me in such a way that whatever sin I have now is flooded out of me and is taken by this Jesus Christ. That's why David ends his first verse this way. Blot out my transgressions. In order for me to stand before you and recognize that I am a sinner who now actually seeks to speak to you and to have you speak back to me so that you will have mercy on me, he needs one thing. He needs those transgressions blotted out because he knows what the law does. The law counts every single sin and writes it in a book. And that book then is supposed to be used on your last and final day when you're standing before the judgment throne. And how do you think you're going to come out then? How do you think this is all going to look on paper? David says, I am a miserable sinner. And unless you blot out all of those sins, I am going nowhere fast. And God says, that's exactly what I want to do. Now, Tomorrow I will continue with this, but I don't want you to be lonely or wondering or waiting simply to be uh, rescued by your dog at the door. I want you to hear what your Lord actually says to you. When David goes down to that fourth verse, he says, Against you, you only have I sinned, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless when you are judged. David knows something about Christ. It isn't simply God standing and judging you day in and day out, but when he gives you Christ, something quite dramatic happens. He gives you a promise, which he then asks you to turn around and become his, God's own judge. He wants you to receive this promise he wants to cease being your judge according to the law and he wants you to judge him, God, on the basis of this promise so that when God blots out your transgression, you will say to him, I now find you blameless, God, when you do this. I do not find you wrong when you do this. I find you right when you do this. I find you righteous when you blot this out in such a way now that I want you people to receive a promise here. And when you get a promise, I want you to do exactly what David does with it. I want you to turn around and judge God with it. And you see whether God is a liar or whether he is a truth teller. And you tell God this, Receive now your promise. I, as a called and ordained minister of the Church of Christ, and by his authority, give you absolution of all your sin. Here and now, full and complete, 
knowing full well who you are and what you are standing before God. And with this promise now, I want you to take it and I want you to justify God. I want you to tell God, though I did not deserve it, nevertheless, I find you to be true when you blot out my transgression. That transgression is there no longer because Christ has taken it. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.